Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. This month, we're, we're, we're talking about songs from the cave. So we're preaching about songs from the cave. Uh, how many of you were here last week and you, you got the introduction to the sermon? Okay, a good chunk of you. Those of you that were not here, though, it's really based on uh, Psalm 142. And if you notice, my voice is a little bit weak today. That's because I've been sick all day. So I'm not going to do a lot, or all week. I've been sick all week. Started Monday. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to do a lot of shouting today. If I do, I'll, I won't have anything else to say halfway through. So I'm going to take it easy. But, um, uh, but we, 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 we're reading from Psalm 142. So let's go ahead and read all of Psalm 142 again. And um, uh, maybe even just a couple of times, because this is such a powerful psalm from David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, preserved down, passed down to us. He says in verse one, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. Verse two, I pour out before him my complaints. Before him, I tell my trouble. I know it's going to be hard to read that last. Me. There we go. Help you out. Uh, Verse three, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Uh, I look and see, this was our main verse last week. I look and see, uh, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. And uh, if you'd like to hear that positive and encouraging sermon from last week, um, you can go into our podcast and, and, and listen to that. Um, it really is good to be honest about, about who is with you and who is not with you. It's really good, actually, sometimes to admit that, that you have no refuge. Because um, until you acknowledge verse 4, you can't ever really get to verse 5, which is, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison. I'm going to talk about that here in a couple of weeks. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. There's a connection between freedom from a prison and the praise that, that, that is in your mouth. Then the, the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Let's read that psalm one more time just to let it sink in a little bit. Starting at verse one, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. It's good to pray in your head sometimes, but when you're really when you're when you really need God, I guarantee it will it will it will it will it will be allowed. I don't care if you're Baptist or Presbyterian, it will it will be allowed. It will be loud. Uh, you will, it will come out of your voice. It will come out of your, your mouth when you're actually really needing God. It doesn't matter uh, what your tradition is. Uh, he says, I cry loud to the Lord. Lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. That's what I'm going to talk about today. I pour out before him my complaint. This is going to be a complaining sermon. So uh, it's going to be all about 
the power of complaining. Uh, so before him, I tell my trouble, going on into verse three, when my spirit grows faint within me, there, there does come a place, there comes a time when you're experiencing grief or you're overwhelmed by a situation or you don't see any way through or out of a particular cycle. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me. <laughs> wow. The military's putting on a little show right overhead of us. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever experienced this. But if you haven't experienced this, you're going to experience a time where, where, where something's too big for you. You can't, you can't, you can't just say that you're okay. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself out of it or to fix it. There's just this overwhelming sense of grief or loss or despair. And David said that his spirit is growing faint within him. In other words, he doesn't have uh, the spirit or the courage inside of him anymore. Anymore. He says that it's you who watch over my way, but actually while God is watching over my way in the path where I'm walking, people have hidden a snare for me. Sometimes God will watch your way and watch as people try to trip you up. Um, not getting a lot of amens out of that. But anyway, this is just, just the Bible, okay? It's just scripture. It's what happens. And once again, if you've never been there, or maybe you've been too American to be honest about it, Maybe you just grew up in Texas and you were told you're never supposed to say this kind of stuff or think this kind of stuff. But, but let, let, me, let me just free you, release you to be you. Let me release you to feel the reality of the situation that you're in because many of us are in these kinds of situations. You might notice that this psalm, before the verses, there's a little, a little category underneath the, the chapter, and this is found in several psalms. It's a description of what the psalm is about. He says it's a maskil of David, a maskil or a machil, is a, is a didactic poem. It's the kind of poem that's meant for your instruction. You're supposed to memorize this and recite it to yourself whenever you run into this issue. And so he says, this is a masculine of David when he was in the cave. This is the kind of song you write in the cave. There's some stuff you can't write anywhere else. So God brings us into a cave a cave in our relationships, a cave in our lack of relationships, a cave uh, with our children, a cave in our employment, a cave with an addiction. We, we, we might, we fall into a cave and it's in the cave that this kind of stuff comes out. And so it's okay to be honest. This is a safe place for you to be honest and open with God about how you feel and about what's going on in your heart. And that's what he says, man, my spirit's growing faint within me. Uh, and, and, and yet it's you who watch over my way. But while you're watching over my way, there are people that are laying snares for me. They're laying traps for me. They're trying to destroy me. And then he says, look and see. God, look around me. There is no one at my right hand. It doesn't mean that there was no one around him, but that there was nobody that he could lean on it. Your right hand is somebody, it's like your right, your right hand man. It's your, it's, it's, it's your, it's, it's somebody that you can rely on, you can lean on. There's nobody that he can trust in that is around him. There's several people around him, but you can be alone in a, in a room full of people. And so he's, he's in a room, there's all these people, he's in the cave with all these people, but he said, there's nobody that I can lean on. No one is concerned for me. And I shared last week how several people can love you. You can have people that love you, but they can't necessarily care for you because caring has to do with knowledge. So I might, I might feel love toward you, but if I don't know how to care for you, I'm not going to be able to care for you. And so there are some instances, no matter what kind of loving family you may have come from, which I came from a very loving family. Uh, and I shared my story last week, how they almost killed me when I was 14 months old. They're very loving family, very loving, no, um, sorry, mom. Uh, 
but they, they, they didn't know what they're doing. They're 25 years old. They were feeding me Pedialyte. They thought that's what I needed. And, uh, and it just didn't work out, you know? But so no matter what kind of loving family you come from, there's going to be seasons in your life when that family is not going to know how to care for you. No matter how, what kind of wonderful marriage that you are a part of, there's going to be season your, seasons in your marriage where your spouse is going to be unaware of how to help you deal with what you're dealing with. And this is, this is what David's, he's got people around him, but he has nobody who knows what he's going through. That's, that's, that's significant. It's significant to have somebody who actually knows what you're going through and knows how to care for you. He says, no one is concerned. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. And in verse five, we saw the, this is the, the vulcrum of the passage. This is where the whole thing tilts. And he says, I cry to you, Lord. And that is what we need to do. And that's what this whole sermon series is about, is, is how do I then take these issues that I'm going through, these, these situations that I'm facing, how do I then cry to the Lord? And so last week we talked about how you receive the comforter, you receive the, the Holy Spirit. And, and we had blankets in here and had comforters. And it was just a symbol of that, um, that you can feel the Holy Spirit wants to wrap around you, wants to comfort you. And so to receive the Holy Spirit is part of that. He says, I cry to the Lord and I say, uh, so and he's not just thinking, he's speaking something with his mouth. He said, you are my refuge. You are my portion in the land of the living. In other words, my portion means that you are enough. That if all I got is you, then I have enough. Uh, I, it's that you're not part of the pie. You're not a piece of the pie. You are, Jesus is the pie. He is the entirety of what I need and what, what will fulfill me. And so David is turning away from this desire to find fulfillment in other people or in situations working out. And he's choosing to recognize that God is his portion. And this is what he says. You are my portion in the land of the living. <coughs> Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Uh, there's going to be seasons in your life when you, when you meet things that are too strong for you. And uh, we want to talk about, oh, thanks. We want to talk about how Jesus is the one who can rescue us from those things which are too strong for us. He says, set me free from my prison. Uh, remember, he's in a cave. He's in a cave because he's hiding from Saul, his enemy. So he, he runs to a cave for a shelter. And it's interesting how a shelter can become a prison. Uh, the only difference really between a shelter and a prison is one uh, you, you, you can't leave and one you don't want to. But, but it's amazing how what we run to for shelters can become prisons. And he runs into this place and now he's stuck there. He says, rescue me from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. Let's also go to First Samuel chapter 22. Wow. Thanks. You can just, 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 just line it up. All the bottles of water, just line them all up here. <laughs> we may need them here in a minute um, with these candles down front. Um, <laughs> this, this passage, most scholars believe, is taken from the story, story of David in Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 22. And um, this is that story. In verse 1, it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, when, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, <clears throat> they went down to meet him there. And all of those who were in distress or in debt... <laughs> or discontented, <coughs> gathered around him. 
and he became their commander. Lucky, lucky David. <clears throat> About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and <clears throat> said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? <laughs> like I said, Jonathan, you may have to preach today. It's there. It's there, but if it can't come out, yeah, you won't understand my notes. It's, doesn't, it's just nonsense over here. <laughs> this is the story, though, where David is in the cave, and he's escaping to a cave. He, he, he was in Gath, which Gath is the hometown of the giant that he killed. So he was not necessarily welcomed at Gath. Uh, he wasn't a hero there. And, he, and he's in Gath, and so he has to escape because he realizes the danger of Gath. And he escapes. It's just funny. He can't, he, he can't be home because at home Saul is trying to kill him. And he can't, he, he, he can't be at the place of his enemies because his enemies are trying to kill him. And so the cave is that place in between where, where you came from and, where, and, and, and what you're supposed to conquer. It's that space in between, in, 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 in between what your home should be and the home that God is building for you. He, he, he's supposed to be in Jerusalem. He's supposed to be uh, welcomed among the Israelites, but because of the jealousy of a king, he, he's not welcome. And so sometimes you're, what should be a safe place for you can become a dangerous place uh, because of jealousy, because of sin. And this is where David is. He's not in the cave on a vacation. He's in the cave because he can't go back to where he came from, and he can't go to where he feels like God's calling him to go. He can't conquer anything because it's just him and a sword. And yet he can't go back home because his mentor is, is so jealous of him that he's trying to kill him. And so the cave is that place where you rest in between those places. And it's, and it's there that his, his, uh, his family comes to him, which is convenient. Because his family is the one that never believed in him. You know, his, his dad never believed in him. His brothers never believed in him. His brothers thought he was coming to, to, to look, watch the battle. It's, it's interesting. When you get at your lowest point, um, helpful people don't come around. <laughs> the people that, co that come to him, they're distressed. They're in debt. They got problems. <laughs> it's funny. When you get into the cave, the kind of people that pack into the cave with you, they're not, they're not usually the kind of people that you want <laughs> in the cave with you. They're not usually like, <clears throat> you know, like Jonathan, the son of Saul, you know. Why can't he be in the cave with them? Why can't, why can't Saul, the king, be there? Why can't some mighty men of power and faith and, you know, maybe a prophet or two or somebody who likes Jesus or God? And, but no, he's stuck in the cave, one, with, with a bunch of guys who don't have anywhere else to go, and two, with his family, because his family is scared for their lives. Really, they're, they're there for selfish reasons, which is why David said, I have nobody who cares for my life. Because all the people, sometimes people who gather around you when you're in the cave, they're not there for you. They're there for themselves. They're there for what they can get from you. They're there because they also are in trouble. They're, the, they're there because they're running from something. 
They're not necessarily going to the same place you're going or concerned about where you're going. They just know where they're running from. And so, and so it's amazing to me. David's in the cave and the Bible tells all these random people come alongside him and his parents show up. And his parents show up and it's there in that place. He's got all these 400 men plus his family crammed into this cave. They had no deodorant, no restrooms. There, it's not a good sight, and and it's in that it's in that context that David starts scrawling on the walls of the cave this these lyrics in this song, and the song that comes out of this place. If we go back to verse one, he says, "I cry unto the Lord, to the Lord I lift up my voice uh, for mercy, and I pour out before Him my complaint. I pour out before Him my complaint." This is, this is a didactic poem. The Holy Spirit wants this to be preserved for believers throughout the century to take this and say, what should I do when I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who don't care for me, they only care for themselves, and I'm stuck in a place between where I, where I come from and where I'm going, what should I do? Well, first off, you should pour out your complaint. Now, now, now this is really un- Texan, this is really un-American actually. If you, if you Google complain or complaining, um, which, which I typically do this, whenever I'm preaching on something, I will, I'll search like Google images around a particular word, like a key word, just to get a, a feeling for the zeitgeist of what everybody thinks about that word. And let me tell you, you type in complain, it's like, it's like the worst thing ever. If you're a complainer, there's like, there's, there's, there's Hitler, there's Stalin, and then there's you, the complainer. I mean, it's, it's just awful. Like, you know, there's all these quotes and memes about don't complain, don't whine, um, don't make excuses, you know, winners aren't complainers. And, and I mean, com the word complain is just such a negative word in our culture. We tell our kids not to complain. We're, we're constantly telling ourselves not to complain. It, you know, I mean, if you didn't vote, you can't complain. And, uh, you know, you're, because we don't, because to us complaining, <laughs> that was this past week. So, but, but here's, here's, the wonderful thing about the gospel, even if you didn't vote, you can still complain according to scripture. Now, 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 now what you complain about and who you complain to, that's important. There's some important distinctions there. Um, but, 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 but God is encouraged, and I think God's calling us, and if, and if this month, the month of Thanksgiving, <laughs> If you could learn anything, I hope you learn how to complain. I just, I just do. It sounds crazy. Everyone's getting uncomfortable. They're like, this is, that guy's a heretic. Is he like, what, like, what next? What's he going to preach on next? But no, I mean, you, to me, it's so clear that this is the didactic poem of how to deal with a cave. When you are in a cave, you must allow yourself to complain to God. Because here's what happens. If you don't complain to God, if you don't pour out, let's see, I should say if you don't pour out your complaint, because you have a complaint, you have several. And if you don't pour it out to God, you either keep it bottled inside or you drip it out on Facebook. <laughs> I was, I was, the, the title of this point is pour it, don't post it. You got to pour it, don't post it. Just because that's what happens though. 
That's why, that's, 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 that, that, that's what happens when we don't have a place to pour our complaint, when we don't have a safe place to pour out a complaint, all we can do is keep it bottled inside, which leads to anxiety and depression. And then we have to spill it out every now and then. And it spills out on the people closest to us. And it spills out on our, on our social media feed. And it spills out in all these unhealthy ways. And we're complaining to the wrong people about the wrong thing. And, and yet scripture says that the way to deal with grief, if you find yourself in a cave, if you find yourself dealing with this, you must free yourself up to pour out your complaint to God. You, you must free yourself to pour. The floor of your cave ought to be soaked with your complaining. There ought to be puddles of complaints because you're pouring it out. If you, if you go into a cave and you come out and, and, and the ground is still dry, you haven't found the purpose of the cave. See, here's, here's the deal. Like what... What, what God spoke to me, God, God spoke to me back in February and uh, I was trying to go to sleep and, and, and I, was, I was having this great communion with the Holy Spirit, friendship with the Holy Spirit and it was awesome. And then I'm like, man, I'm tired, I need to go to sleep. And I'm trying to go to sleep and I can't go to sleep and I felt like the Holy Spirit just said, what? And I said, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> Heck if I know. You know, you're God, how about you tell me what? I don't know. And, and he said, he said, why can't you go to sleep? I, said, I, I don't know. And, and, so, and so I said, how about you tell me? How about you give me a dream? I believe in spiritual dreams. I don't believe you can, you know, demand them. But um, I, I said, why don't you give me a dream and tell me what? Because I don't know what. There's something. I feel like there's something in my chest, but I don't know what it is. And so I had this dream, and I woke up the next day, and, and, and I was praying about the dream. And through the dream, God showed me that there were things in my chest. There were complaints that I hadn't poured out to him. I kept him in because I'm strong. I kept him in because I can take it. I kept him in because I, 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 don't, I don't need a lot to survive. Uh, so Peter and I were talking about that over staff lunch this past week. The home we grew up in taught us how to live without much sleep, without much food, without much, you, you, just, you just get it done. And, and even still, my parents, like, they're, they're crazy. They don't sleep much. They don't eat much. They just work, 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 work. I mean, that's, that's just how we roll, you know? And so it prepared us. And it's actually been a bit of a blessing for me to plant a church because you don't sleep much and you don't eat much and you don't get much words of encouragement and people don't pat you on the back. You get a lot of complaints. And so you, 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 you take it, you know? You take the complaints. And it's all good. And that's fine. It's part of the job. But where do I go with my complaints? Who do I talk to? And really, I mean, honestly, who, who, what, what God began showing me is that all complaints, when I was a kid, they used to have, um, well, like, like at restaurants, like you couldn't, you, the, the, the waitress wouldn't take your, your check. You would have to go up to the cash register up at the front. I don't know if you guys remember that, but, and they always used to have a little box there for, uh, for uh, compliments, um, uh, ideas, and complaints. I think that was it. Compliments, suggestions, and complaints. It was like a little black box with a teeny little slit, and like you fill out this little card and you drop it in there. And I always wonder, like, do they really read those, or, is it, or, or do they just want you to drop it in there so you don't tell your neighbors and your friends about your complaints? It's like, I showed them. I put a little paper in the box, you know? I mean, I don't know if they really read those or not, but, 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 but what, what I'm discovering is that all complaints end up in the same box. There's only one box in the entire universe, and it ends up on the same desk. 
It's God's desk. All your complaints wind up on God's desk. You say, well, I've, I've never complained about God. I've never been mad at God. But you've been mad at the people that he made in his image. So you've been mad at God. Oh, I've never been, I've been, never, 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 would never be mad at God. I, God's, God's too good to me. I would never be mad. At, I'm just mad at the situation that he allowed. If he's sovereign, if he takes the credit for all the good things, surely, surely all complaints forever for the family that you were born in. You didn't choose that. He chose that. You didn't choose when you were born. He chose that. The time and history, the place and your geographical location, the color of your skin, all of those things were designed by him. So all complaints ultimately wind up at the desk of God. And he hears all of your complaints too. He's reading your Facebook post. He's listening to you talking to your, to your friend. He's listening to, to what you say to the barber. I mean, he, he's hearing all of He knows what is in your heart. And what happens is if we don't release our complaints to him, if we don't learn to pour them out, they'll, they will clog. They will clog the channel of our praise. So what happens is because we won't pour out our complaints to him, we stop praying to him. And, and you, can, you can just do a little survey on yourself. Before you got into the cave, how was your prayer life? I guarantee it was down to one of the lowest places it had ever been. And God knew that. God knew that your praise was being clogged by this unseen complaint. And so he brings you into a cave so that you can safely pour out your complaint to him to unblock the channel of your praise to him. Because it was David, I think it's Psalm 54, who said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth, right? And if you grew up in a charismatic church, you heard that a lot, you know? I'll bless the Lord at all times. And so even if the singer's not singing good, come on, you all bless the Lord. Let's bless the Lord, you know? Uh, we're, we're playing off key, but you guys just bless the Lord. I got to bless the Lord at all times. You know, and, and, and it's, a good, it's a good scripture because it, it's, it's true to life. But the same guy who said, I'll bless the Lord at all times, his praise will continually be in my mouth, continually, continually, like even if I'm in a cave, continually, is the same guy who said, I pour out my complaint to him because praise is in your mouth but sometimes it can't get out when it's being blocked by the complaints that you've been holding on to have to learn how to pour out your complaint to God and I know sometimes it's tricky because you feel guilty I don't well maybe you don't I feel guilty I feel guilty at times pouring out my complaints to God because it's like God has blessed me so much like, how could I, I mean, you know, I mean, I complained that, well, this didn't work out and that didn't happen like I wanted it to and, and whatever. But I mean, look at how much God's blessed me. I have a wonderful family. I grew up in a family that loved me. I have two kids that are awesome, uh, doing math right here in the front row, homeschool kids. Um, you know, I mean, I have a church that's awesome. Like, like we just got a building, like, you know, like there's so many things that to praise God for that sometimes I feel guilty pouring out any complaints because it's like, God's been so good to me. How could I pour out complaints? And there's that, that, that guilt. But, but the truth is, the thing that I've figured out is that praise is not always positive. Praise is not always positive. Uh, we've, 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 we've really idolized positivity. Once again, if you Google positive, it's like Mother Teresa 
and and Jesus. They're all positive all the time. Like it's just positivity is like the key to success. I mean, if you're positive, it doesn't matter if you're stupid, you're still going to succeed. I mean, you could be positive and lazy and you'll succeed. You could be positive and, you know, just criminal even, you know, and you're still, it's going to be great because you're positive. Well, you know, that's, that's good and all, but sometimes, sometimes is being positive about everything is not the answer. Sometimes being real is a much better answer. And, and, and I think we've, we've confused positivity with faith. We've confused optimism with faith. This idea that everything's going to work out, we think that's faith. It's not. That's just being an optimist. It's seeing the glass half full. And I'm not an optimist, but those of you that are, I mean, good for you. Um, it's, 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 it's a way of looking at the world. And it's, and it's actually a self, it's a self, uh, uh, <laughs> it's self-protection. It's a way of, of, of not having to face reality at times because, well, it's just going to work out and, and well, that's not, never going to happen. And, 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 and you, you have, you, it's a way of making yourself feel better in the moment. Just like pessimism is a way of self-protection, that you, that, that you don't expect anything from anybody and so you're not disappointed when they, when they fail you because you're trying to protect yourself. Both optimism and pessimism are both ways of trying to protect yourself. The truth is what God wants us to see. It's right in the middle. And there's this, there's this beautiful truth about our lives that yes, we have suffered. And yes, there has been complaints. And so we got to pour those out to God. We got to address those. We have to tell God about those complaints. And when we feel guilty about that, that's not from God. I've never once felt condemned in my grief. I've felt condemned in every other emotion. <laughs> I mean, at times, not like all the time, but I mean, God's convicted me. All this, all, all, every other thing, God's been able to convict me, but God's never touched my grief. There's something sacred about grief. There's something, there's something powerful right here about pouring out your complaints because you do have complaints. You do have, um, really, a complaint is a, is a cry for justice. It's, it's asking God to make things right. It's saying that wasn't just this that happened to me, this that was said to me, this that was taken from me. That wasn't just. It wasn't right. And, and, and that's an agreement with God because the world is not just. Ever since the fall of man, the world's not just. So we come into, into a, a relationship with God and we ask him for justice. And God loves when we ask him for things. Just like I love when my kids ask me for things. When I come home, they're like, Dad, I want to wrestle. Dad, I want to go on a date night because I take them on date nights every couple of weeks. Um, McDonald's, ice cream kind of thing. Dad, I want to... And, and it's true that some other you know, guy in his late 30s could do that stuff with them. But it wouldn't mean nearly the same thing. And so there's some things only I can give to my kids and there's some things only God can give to us. Which is why when we complain to other people, we don't, it doesn't work. We don't get what we needed. Because, you know, I mean, you, you post it on Facebook and you get 10 comments about sympathy comments. Oh, I know, honey. Oh, yeah, well, you should have seen what happened to me. It's just sympathy, which feels good for a moment. It's like, ah, oh, I'm not alone. You know, and, and then there's like a few, like, you know, advice comments. Well, I think you should da-da-da-da-da. Or um, you really need to stop da-da-da-da-da. Or you really ought to da-da-da-da-da. You know, and, and this is the thing, like when you're grieving or when you're in a cave, there's two things you don't need is sympathy 
and advice. So it just, maybe this sermon doesn't mean anything to you because you're not in a cave, but maybe you know people that are in caves. Stop giving them advice. Just like next time you go to say, you should have called me. No, just, just like retract that. No, they shouldn't have called you. No, they couldn't, shouldn't have let you know. No, they shouldn't have. No, no, no. Like, no, there's like, because when someone's grieving, they don't need advice. They don't need somebody to tell them how they ought to be grieving. And they don't need sympathy. You know, oh, I, I, I know how you feel. No, no, you don't. That, that's crazy. Like, this, is how, this is how we say stupid things, right? <laughs> we say stupid things because, because, because we don't know the value of pouring out a complaint to God. Because when I pour out my complaint to God, I don't get sympathy from him. Because he really, you know, doesn't come down and say, oh, I know how you feel. I don't get advice from him. He doesn't say, well, next time you really ought to. What I get is somebody who listens and loves. And that's what I'm missing when I'm grieving. That's what I need when I'm grieving. Somebody who listens and loves. And I don't mean passively loves, I mean actively loves. Right, and sends his spirit to, to cover me, sends his, his grace to, to empower me. He, he actively loves and he, and he listens. Which is, by the way, what what, what I love to do as a dad, I love when my kids talk to me. And that's one of the reasons I take them on dates. So that the whole ride there, they're rambling on and on and on about their day and about, I don't know, their favorite movie. And I mean, who knows? Like Mike is asking me, you know, how galaxies were formed and, you know, all that kind of like, like, they're, we're, like we're, 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 we're talking. And this is, this is the burn about when they get older is they, they, they kind of get quieter. You know, so I'm taking advantage of it now. So she's nine, he's seven. Um, but, but honestly, I think one of the reasons why teenagers get quieter is because for like 13 years, they've been told to shut up. Not now, I'm busy. And you get that message enough times, you start to figure out oh, that's not a, such a, I'm, my thoughts aren't welcomed here. I'm not saying that to make any parents feel bad, but, but think about that if you have little ones, you know what I mean? Like, let's just, just, you know, I mean, maybe volume needs to be here, but, you know, I mean, we, like, I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to know you. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. He wants us to speak to him because there's a connection there. And so when I pour out my complaint to him, I'm putting him in a place where only he can be. I'm letting him meet a need that only he can meet. And he does that for me every time. My third point is that hope isn't always uh, helpful, <laughs> uh, which is once again heresy. But, but I've found that some hope is just not helpful. There is something called false hope. And I think one of the reasons why God takes us into a cave is to remove false hope from our lives. He takes us into a cave. He lets certain things fall away and certain things break down. And we are there pouring our, out our complaint. And one of the re responses that I've frequently got from God as I have poured out my complaint is revelation on what is false hope and what is real hope. And grief has a wonderful way of revealing areas in our life that was false hope. False hope is something that you're hoping in that's never going to happen. Because it's not for you. You, you know, it's, it's, and, and, it's, and it's 
a huge problem with our generation. We're plagued with false hope because we're constantly told that we're going to make a difference and we're going to change the world and we can be anything we want to be. And, you know, all that wonderful, positive stuff. And, and yet you grow up, you have kids, and you end up a lot like your own parents. And you really dapple them and fall far from the tree. The world hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot. And, and there's this huge mountain of expectation that we have on ourselves. And this huge mountain of hope that, you know what, yeah, just right around the bend, it's all going to be, it's all going to be different. But what happens in a cave is you, you start to you start to realize not just, not, just, not just what's out there, but you start to realize what's in here. And you start to realize that there's some things that you've been hoping in. And this, this, this actually happens for, for a lot of us who have, who, who have unhealthy parents. Uh, I grew up with, with rather healthy parents, but many of us did not. And you can keep hoping that they're going to straighten up and they're going to act right. And they're gonna, or your siblings are going to act right. Or your family's going to change. Or, or this situation is going to change. You can keep... And, and, and it feels good to hope that, to be like, you know what? Yeah, it's just, it's God's, it's good, it's good, it's gonna, God's gonna, and, and then you get saved and you make it religious. God's gonna change all of that stuff. God's gonna, you know, flip everything around. But man, that's a roller coaster. Because when it starts to look like, hey, it's starting to turn around, whoa, yeah. And then, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. It's a roller coaster of emotions. And it's like this, it's like the, this, and it keeps loading in complaints. So you pour out complaints if you ever pour them out to God. If you keep these, these false hopes in the cave with you, you'll pour out your complaints to God. And then tomorrow you have brand new complaints to pour out to him. And then the next day you'll have a whole bunch of, and, and hopefully throughout life there are seasons where we have complaints, but, but they're all to get to a place. And this is what I, what I like about David. David goes to the cave and, and, he, and, and he's there, he's crying out to God. God sends him 400 misfits and his family. And what does David do? Let's, let's, let's go back to 1 Samuel. This is what David does. David David in 1 Samuel, he leaves Gath, he's in the cave, his brothers and his whole father's household go down to him there, go on to the next verse. When he's, when he's in the cave and he's writing this psalm, after he writes this psalm, uh, it, so he, God sends him all these losers and he becomes their commander, 400 of these guys, and, and they end up being David's mighty men, by the way. But anyway, verse 3, from there David leaves, he leaves the cave and he goes to Moab, which is an enemy of, of Israel. Uh, Moab is where his, I think, grandmother was from, Ruth. And, and he goes to Moab and he says to the king of Moab, would you let my what is it, father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? Now, once again, it's, I, I, I don't have parent issues. I love my parents. But there are some relatives in the cave with you that you're going to have to take to Moab. And I don't even necessarily mean blood relatives. It may be blood relatives. It may be actual people that you've been leaning on and relying on and they keep disappointing you and keep letting you down. It may be a dream that you keep dreaming about and you keep, keep, keeps disappointing you, keeps letting you down. It may be a, a, a relationship that you keep looking for and it keeps disappointing you and it keeps letting you down. 
there's some relatives, there's some thoughts. To me, it could be a thought in your mind, a dream in your heart that's been there. See, relatives have been there for a long time. And they know you real well. And they've been hanging out with you. And you've had it forever. And yet they keep bringing all this disappointment to you and all this complaint to you. And, it, and, and David said, I have to, well, it, at, at some point, he, he, he has, if we just leave the scripture, that, that, that'd be cool. He, he goes to Moab and he says, would you let my father and mother come and stay with you? The cave is two people too many. We got, we got 400 and one plus David and two plus his mom, 403 people. We need, this going only fit 401 people in this cave. I'm sorry. It's just not going to work. There's some people, and in this case, actual people that he had to drop off at Moab. But I think for us, there's some, there's some thoughts, there's some relatives that have been in our mind and been in our heart for a long time that we, we have to get out of the cave. That after we've poured out our complaint to God, that we, that we then remove the false hope. And this is what Psalm, I think it's Psalm uh, uh, 146. It's David once again. He said, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord is God. Your help and your hope are always going to be connected. And so David learned that he can't, like, you know, I can just see, David's dad coming to the cave, the guy who didn't believe anything could, good could come out of David. And David, again, maybe now he'll be proud of me, right? I got 400 guys, kind of, their army, sort of, you know. Maybe now he'll be proud of me because he sees I took out Goliath, right? I mean, I'm the guy who took out Goliath. Maybe now he'll be proud of me. And he comes in the cave, and no, it's the same story. It's the same situation, it's amazing to me how, 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 how we, can, we can hope in people and we can hope in their approval and we can hope in their, in their validation and we can hope in their help, but they don't come through for us. And so David says in 146, he said, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose, and whose hope is in God alone. One of the reasons for the cave is God is knocking off these false hope things. These things that you dreamt about, these things that you, you wanted to happen, these things that you were looking for. And God allows those things to be revealed for what they are. They're, they're, they're fun, but they're a roller coaster. They're not stable. They're not reliable. And instead, he says, let me take, let me take and drop my mom and dad off to you until I learn what the Lord will do for me. <laughs> I've figured out what my mom and dad can do for me. But I need to drop them off here for a minute until I learn what the Lord will do for me. I can't learn what the Lord will do for me as long as I'm relying on what they could do for me. I can't learn what the Lord will do for me as long as I'm looking to them to do something else for me. And it might be people close, close to us. Now, I'm not saying go get a divorce because Pastor Harry said you got to drop people off in Moab, okay? Don't drop your wife off in Moab. It's not the way it works. So some people you've committed to be in the cave with, all right? So stick to your commitment. But, but there are some dreams and visions that you've got to drop off at Moab. And you've got to say, maybe I'll pick that up later. Maybe God has that for me in the future. Maybe, 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 maybe. But can I just distance myself from that until I learn what the Lord will do for me? 
because God's going to do something for me in this cave. God's going to bring something out of me in this situation. And he's going to bring some negative stuff, but he's going to bring some positive stuff out of me. He's going to let me know who I really am and who he's created me to be here in this cave. So let me, let me distance myself from this relative, these, these relatives that have been hanging on my shoulder all that I keep looking to, I keep relying on. I can't see God when these things are in the way. I can't see what the Lord will do for me when these things are in the way. I have to move them. I have to distance myself, drop them off at Moab. And when we do that, then we start to hear what the Lord will do for us. And so here as we uh, close our service, um, I wanted to close just with the time of, I guess, doing that symbolically um, with, these, with these candles right here. Uh, if you grew up in, in a Catholic church, there's a lot of candles in, in, in Roman Catholic church. I'm not sure what their theology would be around the candles, but I know um, that the early church used candles um, frequently. In the second century, uh, Tertullian was one of the, the lead writers of the second century. He, he wrote that every church everywhere has candles. And he says burning at night, but he says also burning the daytime. He said, because we burn them to remember that Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, they've always been associated. Ever since God set up a tabernacle, there was candles. And then a temple, there was candles. They sh they're, they're always, with, with, at the most holy place, along with intercession, was candles. And it, there's nothing magical about candles. There's nothing special. The smoke doesn't make your prayer go anywhere. Um, and it's especially strange to do it in front of statues. Um, because what is a statue going to do? It's nothing. But, <laughs> but, but it's, it's a physical thing, though. Kind of like the blankets last week. The blanket is not the, whole, the comforter of the Holy Spirit. The comforter is not the comforter. It's just a symbol to put it on your shoulder to feel what, what it's, uh, is, uh, is to give you an idea, a physical representation of a spiritual truth. And I think that's the same thing with lighting candles when you pray. We don't light candles for the dead. Uh, we don't always light candles. I rarely light candles when I pray. Um, it's not necessary. It's not, it's not, you don't have to. But in times of deep grief, actually, I remember when 9-11 happened, uh, we had, had that massive candle lighting thing because there's something about uh, a prayer that is, that is a burning prayer. I think it's, it's, more, it's more connected with the complaints because something's dying, something's being consumed, something's burning up uh, when you light a candle. And, um, and so what I would like to do is I would just like for us just to take time. We have some time today to focus um, on our complaints. I would like to give you some space to take a few minutes, sitting there right where you're at, to complain to God. To, and sometimes we're so religious, or I am, that I don't even know what my complaints are. They're lodged so deep, I won't even allow that thing to surface. It's just jammed in there, and I'm not talking about it, because I'm not thinking about it. You know, and so sometimes it takes like, God, how about you show me? Uh, you're going to have to like reveal this to me. Your Holy Spirit's going to have to speak to me, reveal to me. What complaints have I, have I lodged away? 
And, and, and what if I just told it to you like I feel it? And what if I just told it to you like without the special words and a particular prayer? What if I just, what if I just voiced it to God the way that it hit me? And what if he wasn't offended by that? What if he was okay with that? What if he received all of your complaints in the same box and he reads each and every one and he receives them and he loves and he listens at the same time? And so what I'd like for us to do is um, uh, Michelle and I are just going to play and sing a song, which you can sing along if you like, but um, really for us to have a time of reflection here for five minutes where you all um, pray and ask God uh, what complaints you may have, or you might already know exactly what complaints you have. You're like, I already got them. I, I know I got, I got a list. Hold on a second. Let me get this out. I got them in my phone, you know, or you just go back to your Facebook feed and just start scrolling and... Lord, um, yeah, that, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know, like, it might be real, it might be real easy for you, but I'm telling you, it's important, because no matter, no matter, like, no matter how bad you feel about yourself, because some of us take the anger, we turn it inward, to where we're like, no, it wasn't God, it was just me, I'm just a screw up. Yeah, well, that anger that you're turning inward is ultimately aimed at somebody that is made in the image of God. And so it's ultimately somewhere going back to an injustice that you believe, that, that you believe happened to you. And God could have changed it. He could have saved you from it. He could have changed the circumstance, but he didn't. There's always some kind of complaint toward God. And so allowing yourself just to be honest with God and say, hold up, it's, maybe it's not just me. Maybe, maybe there's something that I've agreed with the enemy about in my past, in my life, about me, about my height, about my skin color, about my, my social skills, that I've believed, and, and, and I've, I've been angry, but I've never taken the complaint to the right desk. I dropped it off at my own desk, I dropped it off at my parents, I dropped it off at my, you know, these people, dropped it off at their desk, put it on Facebook, but I've never dropped it off at God's desk. But this is a church where it's safe to do that. God's okay with your complaints. He wants you to pour them out to him. Let's take a moment in prayer.